This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. As you may or may not know, this show is generally heard on two stations. Our uh, flagship station, as it were, would be KDVS here in Davis. But this program is also aired on KZFR 90.1 FM in Chico. We've been enormously pleased to be part of KDVS for eight years, but for the past couple years we've been uh, up on KZFR, another fine community-based radio station uh, in Chico. And it was my great pleasure to travel up to Chico last week to uh, do what I could to help out KZFR in their pledge drive effort. Rick Anderson and the whole crew up there are doing a great job uh, week in and week out, and I was pleased to be able to personally uh, take part in the broadcast. Their pledge drive continues on this week, and we do hope that uh, listeners up in Chico will do their part to help the station uh, stay afloat. And, of course, later this month we'll be having our own pledge drive here on KDVS. But it's an odd bit of history that, uh, Ashley, yours truly uh, made an appearance on KZFR before we ever showed up on KDVS. And that's because of the fact that uh, we were invited up to Chico by one of the uh, disc jockeys when he was actually still a high school student. And because he is someone who uh, clearly has a background on both stations, first KZFR and later KDVS, he would make the perfect guest to bring on the show right now. So, at this point, I'd like to welcome back to Radio Parallax our good pal, Stephen Valentino. Hello, Doug. Good to have you back, sir. It's great to be back. Thank you. And, of course, uh, when I was up in KZFR uh, last week in Chico, I want you to know they they remember you very fondly up there for your show done when you were still uh, in high school. Oh, my God. I hope they didn't keep any of the tapes. That I don't know. I hope they've all been burned. That's actually where I got... uh started, and this, for some reason they let a 15-year-old host a show. <laughs> which, which they soon regretted. <laughs> <laughs> Only briefly. Um, that's basically where I learned everything that uh, I know, by just coming down there and just experimenting and trying and see what worked. Yes, you did. And I remember being part of that, uh, going up there and joining you, and before we had a show here, it was a lot of fun on one Christmas Eve uh, doing a lot of comedy. We got calls from all over Northern California. It was great. Well, the secret was having an, a live drum in the studio for the rim shot. <laughs> yeah, your brother came in with a drum to do those. That that did that did perk up the broadcast. <laughs> and of course, people uh, I think know both in Chico and Davis that you went from being a uh, high school uh, DJ at KZFR to uh, to uh, a news commentator and, and public affairs host at uh, at KDVS, and finally our general manager. Yes, I did actually, and uh, you know it was very good. Uh, of course, you, as being my uncle, did not benefit at all from that arrangement. No, I didn't. <laughs> Sorry to say. Yeah, that is. We should point out that yes, you are my nephew. That is another another connection between the odd connection between the two stations, I guess. Yes, and no nepotism at all involved here, right? Now, as far as I know, no. I, I was I was pleased to be part of your public affairs lineup when you were captain of the ship down uh, down here. And, of course, we are, we're still here on KDBS. I know, I know. See, so it's, it's a testament to the quality of your program, Doug, that you haven't been canceled yet. Well, I, I hope so. And you've, you've moved on. We should, uh, we should point out to many people who don't know, you're currently working uh, in the Big Apple, WNYC, associate producer for Leonard Lopate, who's quite a well-known personality in, in New York City. Yes. 
and we actually just celebrated our 25th anniversary on the air, uh, which means Leonard has actually been broadcasting since I was a zygote, which when you tell someone that, they don't tend to find it very funny. Yeah, most people kind of hang up on the word zygote, but... Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> we're laughing here. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, and I, and I understand you the un, the unenviable task of going through some of the uh, the old uh, tapes fell to you to try to pull out, pull out the highlight reel. Well, I had this great idea of putting together a documentary, and uh, I went through 25 years of old reel-to-reel tapes with this big kind of uh, Star Trek-looking machine. <laughs> Um, and it took me about a month and a half, but uh, it actually came out very well. Oh, good. Very Leonard, happy with it. Leonard was pleased. Yes. People, if people want to hear Leonard Lope, where, where do they need to go? Uh, if they go to WNYC.org, uh, the entire station's content is up there, and you can just click through to the Leonard Lope show and see all the stuff that we do. All right. I like to verify I've done that on numerous occasions, and, they had, and you guys do have some pretty, good, pretty darn good stuff out there. Well, thank you, Doug. All right. Well, I know I know you're in San Francisco right now, heading back to New York soon, jet-setting around, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'm actually I'm shopping for vintage tie clips right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no idea what to do with that. <laughs> but I know you got to catch a plane pretty quick, but we thank you for, uh, for phoning in, and, and I hope we'll have you back on soon to update us on, you know, because you are, frankly, uh, our Big Apple correspondent. Thank you, Doug, and uh, I'm sure I'll have 20 to report in the future. All right, and we're looking forward to that. Stephen Valentino, uh, welcome back uh, to your to your listeners in in both KDVS and KZFR, and and come back again soon. Thank you. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. All right, let's begin this program as we like to do with. On this date in history, the date in question is the 1st of April. It was on April 1st in the year 64 AD that the Emperor Nero, apparently practicing for the future burning of Rome, burned down the Italian city of Naples. And it was on this date in the year 1189 when Richard III of England on the Third Crusade had a meeting with the Islamic Sultan Saladin and was able to introduce to the Islamic world a foodstuff he had uncovered on Hamburg, Germany, on his way east. And thus the two kings were the first to sit down and enjoy the hamburger. For his part, Saladin introduced somebody to the meal that was then brought to Western culture, the onion ring. And on April 1st, in the year 1511, inventor Leonardo da Vinci in his notebooks described for the first time, and of course included pictures, of what the modern world would call the first squirt gun. Da Vinci named his invention the Agua Pistola. And on April 1st in 1497, the Portuguese navigator Vasco da Gama, in attempting to sail around Africa to India, was blown off course, at which point he discovered Uruguay. And lastly, it was on April 1st in 1700 when English pranksters began popularizing the annual tradition of April Fool's Day by playing practical jokes on one another. Something to keep in mind as regards the previous four entries to this portion of the show. And in fact, you may consider those our jokes of the day. And by the way, in today's program, we have a lot of catching up to do, so we're going to have one of those shows where we don't have a guest. We're just going to try and bring you up to date on the news. 
We do think we'll make it up to you on next week's show, however, because we did get a chance to interview a legend of American history, General Chuck Yeager, the man to fly the Bell X-1 experimental aircraft through the sound barrier back in 1947, the inspiration for the great book and movie, The Right Stuff. We're looking forward to bringing you that on next week's program. Our quote of the day comes from the legendary thinker Bertrand Russell, who once said, The greatest challenge to any thinker is stating the problem in a way that will allow a solution. Our quote of the day comes from poet Miguel de Unamuno, who said, A lot of good arguments are spoiled by some fool who knows what he's talking about. Our stat of the day comes from the Wall Street Journal, which notes that about 87% of all private insurance policies cover abortion, according to the Guttmacher Institute, but only 13% of abortions are paid for by insurance because most women who get them have no insurance or are on Medicaid. Sad, but I'm sure true. All right, let's see if we can't do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Printed of the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for David Slick of North Richland Hills, Texas, who claims to have set a world record by using his head to smash 138 raw eggs in one minute. Slick was quoted as saying during his celebration, My neck is killing me. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for gender equality after major U.S. television networks banned Kotex tampon commercials from using the word vagina or even such euphemisms as down there. A Kotex executive said the ruling was very discomforting given that they, given things they can broadcast, like erectile dysfunction. You do have to wonder, what would motivate major U.S. television networks to do something like that? I don't know, I guess we can speculate. It's uh, people attacking the liberal media. You know, those guys using words like vagina and stuff like that. Anyway, it was apparently an ugly week last week for the birds and the bees after a patch of woods containing 6,000 trees was cut down outside Lancashire, England, because it had become a popular spot for sexual trysts. Said council member Gene Rigby, since the trees were cleared, it's quieted down a lot. You know, frankly, that's a story I wish we knew more about. Anyone listening from, uh, from the UK and you know anything more about this, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. A couple more items from the week, which we regard as a fine magazine. From their Only in America file, we have the following. A Chicago woman sued a grocery store this week for injuries allegedly sustained after slipping on grapes. The woman's lawyer, Mark Solmore, said that produce sections are notoriously dangerous because of such hazards as watermelon juice, strayed cherry tomatoes, and most of all, grapes. They're very stealthy, those grapes, said Solmore. They're small, and they're round, and they roll. By the way, there's a long tradition in America of what's called swooping. We learned about this in a book called Accidentally on Purpose, where folks will go into produce sections and you know spray some water on the floor and then 
slip. Of course, we have we have no way of knowing whether in this instance the woman in Chicago <laughs> legitimately fell or not. But we do know that America has too many lawyers and too many lawsuits. All right, item from the good news file. The U.S. and Russia broke a logjam in their arms control talks last week, which cleared the way for President Obama and Russian President Dmitry Medvedev to sign an arms reduction treaty this month. The agreement, which would replace the now-expired Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty of 1991, would require both sides to reduce their warheads and launchers by more than 25%. The administration views the pact as a stepping stone toward more ambitious reductions later in the president's term. This is going to make us all a bit safer and uh, brings up uh, an essay that was in New Scientist magazine uh, last week, which I think we ought to quote from. Said Deborah McKenzie, in the next few weeks, President Barack Obama will publish his Delayed Nuclear Posture Review, NPR, setting out the role nuclear weapons play in U.S. defense. This is Obama's opportunity to end one of the most dangerous legacies of the Cold War, the nuclear missiles the U.S. and Russia keep ready to fly in minutes. The signs are that he is unlikely to take it. This leads to the questions, why does the U.S. keep its nuclear weapons on alert, and are they really needed? The NPR is expected to state that the U.S. will not use its nukes to attack a country that does not itself have nuclear weapons as long as that country complies with the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. And it may renounce nuclear weapons as a response to chemical or biological attack. It says that it may also say that 2,500 spare U.S. nuclear warheads will be destroyed. But... Notes the essay, it is not expected to pledge that the U.S. will never be the first to launch a nuclear strike, nor that nuclear weapons are only for deterrence or response to nuclear attack. That means the U.S., along with Russia, will continue to keep 1,000 to 1,200 nuclear missiles, quote, on alert, unquote. Notes the author, missiles on alert are a worry, partly because a malfunction could lead to accidental launch, or they could be hijacked but mostly because they could be launched by misinformed or pressurized military leaders or politicians during a fast-evolving situation. This is a particular risk in Russia, which still relies on aging Soviet-era radar and satellites to scan for incoming missiles. In 1995, the Russian military briefly mistook a Norwegian weather satellite launch for incoming missiles. Anyway, we agree with a new scientist that this is something that needs to be eliminated. But we're highly encouraged by the fact that uh, some arms reduction talks are ongoing and are likely to continue. This, we would add, is a far cry from the previous administration, which basically repudiated all uh, arms agreements and uh, was trying to extend nuclear weaponry into space. Not such a good idea. As long as we're going to talk about politics, and I guess we are, we should cite an article uh, in New Republic by Jonathan Chait, which was quoted in the week as follows. Anyone locked up at Guantanamo was guilty of terrorism. That assumption permeates conservative rhetoric on issues of torture and detainee rights. It's central to the insistence by Liz Cheney and other Bush administration apologists that lawyers who defended, who defended detainees did something wrong. Why bother fighting for a fair hearing in court for foreigners who belong to Al-Qaeda? As Liz Cheney was putting it. Well, wrote Jonathan Chait, here's why. Many detainees were not, in fact, terrorists. 
In 2002, the U.S. handed out cash bonuses to Afghans and Pakistanis to identify Islamic radicals. And some of those fingered were their rivals in village power struggles or perhaps simply goat herders or teenagers that were handed rifles by the Taliban. A former Pentagon official called the original screening process for Guantanamo horrible. And the CIA analyst estimates that one-third of the original 800 detainees there had no connection to terrorism at all. After squelching that information, the Bush administration was forced by lawyers to produce evidence against those it held, and hundreds were sent home. He concludes by asking, why defend a terrorist? For the very reason that American citizens are entitled to a defense. When it locks people up, the government sometimes makes mistakes. And on a happier note, Three weeks back, hundreds of women who flew airplanes for the U.S. military in World War II got finally recognized and received the Congressional Gold Medal, which is Congress's highest civilian award. These women composed the WASPs, Women Air Force Service Pilots. They were barred from combat, but they flew thousands of missions starting in 1943. Overcoming a highly selective recruitment process, stigma, and a paucity of benefits, 1,000 wasps flew a total of 60 million miles, paying for their own lodging, food, and uniforms. Senator Barbara Mikulski told the group, you answered the call of duty and you did it on your own dime. You know, and and I'm sorry to say I'm a little bit baffled by the discovery that the wasps had to do this on their, had to buy their own lodging and food and uniforms. And that's something else that I'm sure some of you out there know know a lot more about than I do. And please, uh, please take the time to fill us in by dropping a line to info at radioparallax.com so that we can can know more about that. And uh, we need to take a break here in a minute. But before we do, let's pull one more item out of the oddball file. Apparently some researchers down under took a look at octopi and discovered that while an octopus does not generally respond to a traditional TV image, they were able to fake them out using high-definition television. Said new scientist, it wasn't possible to study octopus behavior using video before because their eyes were not fooled by slow cathode ray images. But in this study, 31 what were described as gloomy octopuses reacted to three-minute films on high-definition television as if they were real. They lunged forward as if to attack crabs and cowered from other octopuses. And, and I'm quoting here. I thought it was octopi, but anyway, whichever it is. I'm a little dubious about the conclusions of Renata Pronk at Macquarie University in Sydney. They felt that uh, their study showed that <laughs> octopuses lacked personality. Yes, this team found that the octopuses did not behave consistently from day to day. They might be bold one day, but shy the next, for instance. Thus, the team concluded that uh, octopus terricus, which I guess the species they studied, do not have personality, a trait which they felt may allow it to adapt to a changing environment. Of course, for this news story, there's really only one sound effect appropriate. And it inspires uh, some ideas on what to use for bumper music as well. Anyway, I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Let's take a short break. <laughs> 